Okay, so we are live on YouTube. All right, thank you guys for joining today in this uh, session today for governance of digital transformation. Today, uh, we are honored to have two leaders in this market, each from his own side of town, one from the West and one from the East. And uh, hopefully this session will be a big value for all of us to understand the governance in general and governance in specific related to the digital transformation. I'm gonna start introducing highly my uh, guest today, Mark Thomas from the US. He's the president of ESCAP Consulting, and then I'll give him the pleasure just in a minute for him to introduce himself. And Dr. Ashraf Gamal, the CEO of Haukama Institute of Corporate Governance from Dubai. Mr. Mark, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you very much. And thank you everybody for letting me join. So I, I come to you from the US, uh, but interestingly, um, I have a, a, a wide range um, of perspectives of IT governance and corporate governance, not just in North America, but I see the opportunity to, to witness and help organizations across the world in IT governance efforts. So I really like to bring an interesting perspective for you guys. And I hope you ask me some hard questions. And uh, Dr. Ashraf and I, of course, will will try to provide you as uh, as much guidance as, uh, as we can based on what we see. So I, I truly believe that there's this distinction though between governance and management. Uh, governing bodies, there are multiple governing bodies in organization that, that set direction and management then takes that and we put that into operation. So hopefully we can get into that discussion for you guys, because I think there are some very, very big suggestions uh, that we can provide you guys during this conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark, uh, for the intro. Uh, Dr. Ashraf, please introduce yourself. Well, uh, I would like to welcome everyone to this webinar. I am the CEO of Haukama. Uh, Haukama is a corporate governance institute operating in the MENA region, in all the Arab region, actually. Uh, we have been uh, working since 2006 in the area of governance, corporate governance, as well as public governance. So we do offer lots of solutions for state-owned companies, private sector listed companies, banks, and so on. And we work with regulators as well. We are a government institute, so we're not actually a private one. And, and we do research as well. And, and please visit our website, howcoma.org, to see what we have been doing. And just, just like Mark said, I mean, uh, we're very happy to be here in this webinar. And we are sure that we can have uh, an interesting one in which we add value to everyone. Please ask us any questions you'd like to ask. Uh, spectrum of govern governance is really massive, so we can only cover some topics, but then your questions will bring life to, to this webinar. And thank you for inviting me to be a speaker here. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ashraf, on that. And let me start by the first question today to get things started. Today, we define governance as a set of practices and rules, structures, processes, used to direct and manage. Is there a difference between corporate governance and ICT governance? Dr. Ashraf, if you may, on to the question. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for the question. I think it's very good to lay the foundation for, for the discussion today. Um, we like in Haukama to uh, use a definition of corporate governance by Sir Adrian Cadbury of the UK, in which he defined corporate governance 1992, I guess, as a system by which companies are directed and controlled. So it is really about how to set the direction for organizations and how to control them thereafter. So this includes the concept of a strategy, for example, the concept of vision and mission, uh, ethical standards, values, and then uh, control systems, risk management, as well as uh, uh, setting the KPIs for, for the management and for 
the, the assessment of uh, uh, the board performance. So this is corporate governance per se. Now, when you talk about IT governance specifically, that's focusing on the IT element, which is, I think now is really gaining momentum because of the pandemic and what has been going on. So it's it's focusing on the IT and sometimes IT as well as information itself. So it's really how to govern and to manage the information technology, hardware and software to make sure that you are on the right track. It's well maintained, it's effective and it's protected as well. And it's adding value, not taking value out of the business. I think Mark will have much more to add given his IT background. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Dr. Ashraf, I, I think you nailed it. And having myself worked on the IT governance side, um, I think what's what I'm seeing, not just in the USA, but I'm seeing this um, in the Middle East, I'm seeing this in Africa, Central South America, uh, and Asia. And, and what organizations are doing is they're saying, IT, govern yourselves. And, and I had a, uh, just let me tell you a story real quick. And I want to push this back to you, Dr. Ashraf, in a second for your thoughts on this. Uh, I had a situation, I was a CIO uh, of an organization, very large uh, listed organization in North America. We had a massive, massive, it was a uh, a newsworthy event and, and incident. And, and I, was, I was called to talk to the board of directors personally between the CIO and the board of directors. And, and, and during this private meeting, the chairman of the board, asked me one question. Uh, he said, what can this board do to help you? And my response was, I need you to govern IT. And, and the board sat back and said, wait a second, IT, we've told you to govern yourselves. And I said, actually, what you've done is you've told me to govern myself. And what that means is if you tell me to govern myself, you've asked me to, number one, make up my own rules. Number two, Determine which of my own rules I choose to follow. And number three, determine my own consequences on my own rules I choose to break. So therefore, if you tell me to govern myself, I will not only hurt myself, but I will hurt this organization because I need guidelines in, 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 in how I manage IT. Now, do I govern in IT? Of course I do. But there are multiple levels on this. And I think it's very interesting that we're seeing a huge increase in, in boards uh, and other governing bodies, um, especially with uh, digital transformation, information and technology have been very crucial in the support, the sustainability and, and, and the growth of an enterprise. So previously governing bodies and senior management could delegate or even ignore governance mm -hmm. types of decisions, but digital enterprises are increasingly dependent on information and technology for survival, and therefore, of course, stakeholder value. Notice I didn't say shareholder value, I said stakeholder value, and it's driven by a high degree of, of digitization. So I think we're seeing a movement because of some, and, and, and I'm looking at one of my colleagues, Veronica, who knows I'm gonna say this out there, is don't wait for the next newsworthy event. Don't wait till your company makes the front page of the newspaper before you finally decide to govern information and technology because we are creating some vulnerabilities with digital transformation, with some of the current pandemics and those types of things. Um, uh, so Dr. Ashraf, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it back to you. So, so as the corporate governance side, do you agree or disagree with some of my kind of thinking around IT governance? Yes, actually. Uh, I mean, we have, uh, I fully agree with you. We have seen here organizations, you know, in the Middle East, of course, where 
uh, there's a trend of trying to use the best technology in the market. So we have seen lots of companies and big organizations investing massive amounts of money in, 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 in technology, which actually they don't need. And that's exactly because of what you mentioned, because they make the IT guys decide on this, and IT guys are obsessed with technology. So they go out there, they buy this technology without asking whether actually that technology is needed for this organization or not. So, so the board and the governance structure actually decides on what do we need from technology, and then you get the IT to say, you know what, we need to do this from technology. Please help us doing that. So I fully agree with you. It has to be controlled in a way so that we make sure it is actually adding value, not just adding assets and, and premiums that we have to pay and depreciation and stuff like that. No, we have to make sure that it is helping our purpose. That's why, if you remember, I said the first thing in the area of governance is setting the direction for the organization, the strategy. What's our vision? What is it that we are trying to achieve? This is extremely important because that's where we get the IT guy to say, you know what, that's our vision. That's what we're trying to achieve. These are the objectives. Tell us how IT can help us in achieving that. Back to you, Mark. You, Matt, you, you hit exactly. that nail on the head. And, and, and here's, you know, if you think about digital transformation, uh, it, it's, of course, impossible for anybody to go out to the web or read a blog today without seeing digital transformation. And, and this is still, honestly, we've been digitally transforming for for decades now, but it's different for, for every industry and every organization. But, but I think one of the things that you mentioned, you were talking about how we create value. And I, I think that's important. Because if I'm an IT organization or a marketing organization uh, and so on, and I'm, I'm trying to uh, differentiate my organization with digital transformation, what's the value proposition? Well, one is I can get operational efficiencies and I can get financial benefits. I can get uh, a creative um, uh, competitive advantage over customer and user experiences and I can disrupt the market and break down silos within my own organizations. But when you think about it, there are some obstacles. There are some obstacles out here that as an IT organization, I need help from corporate governance, right? So I have uh, resource requirements. Um, I'm creating new vulnerabilities with things like Internet of Things. Hopefully, I'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Um, I've got organizational silos. But what happens is a lot of organizations, and I'd love your perspective on this, uh, Dr. Ashraf, is, is that a lot of organizations still see this as an IT responsibility and, and, and failure to really understand kind of the value proposition that you talked about. Yeah. Okay. Now, actually, Mark, this is very interesting because I'll tell you exactly what's happening right now. Um, a couple of years back, we started to have uh, a rise of fintech uh, globally, and especially in the region. Actually, here in the DIFC, where Haukama is located, we do have a fintech hive. We do have an incubator for, for fintech companies and so on. Um, and, and what we have been telling businesses in all industries is simply that it's either that you disrupt or be disrupted. So if you're going to be waiting, laying back, waiting for somebody else to develop something, this means that you'll be losing all the time. And you have to think like the fainted guys, where you think of some problems in some industries and how can you actually solve these problems. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is simply the pandemic, which was what's happening in the last few months, has to reflect back on the concept of value. Because one of the key things which now businesses are doing is they look back at their own business models. How are we creating money? How are we adding value? So in lots of cases, 
it used to depend on uh, uh, meetings and going to clients and physical services. Now it's changing. So you have to think of, okay, now, now things are changing. My business model is changing. The way I'm making money is changing. Where does technology fit here? And it is not only about where technology fits. It's really about what are the risks associated with that. Now, we have seen in the last two or three months in the region, and I'm sure globally, Mark, as well, lots of businesses are now moving digital. So because now you have some sort of a resolution coming saying people have to stay at home. You have to you know, abandon your offices, stay at home for like two or three weeks or four weeks. And what happened is companies and boards of directors shifted to technology immediately. So they took whatever available without thinking of what are the vulnerabilities. So at the same time, when you think about using technology, I have to think what are the risks. So the concept of cybersecurity, I think we had a study that was issued a couple of weeks back by one of the companies, I think it's Diligent, which said from February to April, the uh, phishing attacks and cybersecurity attacks rose by almost 700%. That's in two months. Because now they realize that all the businesses are moving digital, are going online without thinking of how to protect our data, how to protect our information. And that is a golden sort of mine for you know, hackers and for uh, uh, vicious attacks and so on. So again, we have to think of our business model and then we have to think of, okay, now what are the risks associated to that and how can we handle this? And that's where, again, people like yourself and the IT governors will jump in and say, you know what? There are solutions. Yes, you can move digital, but then we can avoid the risks which might be associated with whatever that you are doing there. Mark? Thank you, Dr. Ashraf. And thank you, Thomas, Mark, sorry, for the, for the answers. And this brings me another question here, Dr. Ashraf, is today we're living in a really fast digital world. Are we, is it being governed? Okay, is this traditional board of directors and family-owned companies, do they have the skills to govern all of this digital transformation? Unfortunately, no. And this is really a very important question uh, because previously, companies used to think when we think about management and boards of directors and so on, they think of the skills which are directly related to their business. So you, you need somebody who has a strong finance background or marketing or sales or strategy or whatever. But you don't really think of having the proper infrastructure in, in technology. And, and I agree with Mark that sometimes you look at it as IT, which means, you know, buying a computer, a printer uh, or whatever. That's not what we are talking about. We talk about technology in the sense of really technology and how to make the best use of technology in your company. So I do believe that a lot of companies are not prepared for that, especially smaller businesses, family businesses. Definitely they are not equipped for this. And what's even more difficult is simply that you have sometimes lots of the boards are of the older generations of the families, people who are, you know, they, they were excellent like 25, 30 years ago. They cannot grasp the concept of technology now. They don't know how technology can affect their business or disrupt their business altogether. So I think that's, again, where awareness is very important, sessions like this and, and more awareness, and then try to introduce change in the board composition, who actually sits on the boards of these companies, who is advising these companies, you know, engaging the younger generations of the families is extremely important because these are well-educated people. They travel to different countries. They know technology. You know, they know how business is being conducted in their countries. Uh, and unfortunately, in many cases, when they come back, they are alienated or put on the side because the, you know, old guards are still in charge and they don't want to leave their their. Uh, hold of the business until they, they, they die, which really 
puts a lot of, of, of pressure and risks on, on these companies and the wealth of these families. Thank you for your uh, answer. It was very informative. And I, I really uh, have to say that I think the, that transformation or the change that is about to happen in this field, especially in the board of directors or the stakeholders or the owners, I think is going to be, uh, we started seeing actually a lot of requests for independent board members today. And this is, uh, I think, a new trend. And then this needs a lot of awareness and a lot of push in the topic. And this brings me to another question here, Mark. How can we interface in this uh, corporate governance from the IT experts and the governance IT experts into making possibly uh, that corporate and IT governance all together into one? Because in the end of the day, they are talking the same. Definitely each one talking a little bit different of a different language due to the specifics. But in the end of the day, they are talking the same higher language. The, the positive note is this, is we are finally seeing across the globe that boards of directors and governing bodies are now seeing information technology risk as an enterprise risk. If you think about this, and, and Dr. Ashraf brought this up, he said risk. And I think risk is the underlying substrate or basis of how we look at this. So let's think about this. As an enterprise, I have st <clears throat> strategic risk, environmental risk, uh, market risk, uh, credit risk, operational risk, and compliance risk, amongst many others. And, and in the past, a lot of boards and a lot of organizations saw IT risk as something that me, the CIO, had to handle on my own. Now we're seeing that IT-related risk has an effect on every one of those corporate-related risks. So, I had, a, I had an experience uh, that was really interesting is, is as I was talking to a board of directors, um, one of the interesting things is if you think about how a board of directors operates, a board of directors receives its information and disseminates its infor information to the enterprise through the use of committees. This specific organ uh, examples would be uh, the finance committee, risk committee, audit committee, uh, compensation committee, right? So on. Now, this specific organization, the only time IT was ever brought up to the board of directors was through two committees. Those two committees were the audit committee and the risk committee. Now, let that sink in for a second. How often are the risk committee and the audit committee going to the board saying, IT is great, right? Doesn't always happen. The risk committee is talking about the risks that are being created for all those risks that I talked about based on IT systems. And audit is saying, here are the basically risks um, and the major findings we're having with IT. Most of these organizations I talked to today never had a committee called the IT Governance Committee because the board of directors wanted to say, hey, IT govern yourself. We want to we want to keep our hands clean of that dirty stuff because IT is confusing. Next thing you know, that same company has a major breach of PII, and now that board says, "How did this happen? Why were we not told about this?" Because mm -hmm. nobody knew, nobody understood the IT environment because the board said, "Digitally transform, digitally transform." And, and, and be aggressive and grow in the market. But what they didn't ask was, what are the vulnerabilities we're creating 
as we're driving this fast. So my first suggestion is if you're a governing body, I would say that do not do not remove IT, you know, as, as an operational unit that has risks because because in the past you asked me as a CIO to manage my own risks. But if you talk about risk ownership and Ashraf talked Dr. Ashraf talked about this a second ago is an IT risk if it becomes real now affects my entire organization. So how is that an IT level risk? It's no longer an IT risk. It's an enterprise risk. So don't ask me to own that risk because it affects this enterprise meeting our goals. So that's kind of the first thing that I think is, is really important to think about how you communicate to the board. I think that's through, again, of course, through the use of committees. Now, there are multiple levels of committees in an enterprise. You know, you, you, you read a lot of the popular frameworks. You talk about this, this distinction between governance and management. Totally get it. And I totally agree with it. However, there are multiple governing bodies in an organization. And this kind of falls under the corporate uh, governance perspective. But within an IT organization, I may have governing bodies such as um, the uh, project review board, a change advisory board, an architectural review board, and so on. They're all governing bodies. Here is the next issue we're dealing with. And, and, and a lot of governing bodies are, are, are shying away from addressing this. Governing bodies, boards of directors, are, are allowing for multiple governing bodies to operate under their umbrella. But what happens is these governing bodies are making policies and rules that conflict with each other. How many folks on this call, you know, have been have been called into an ad hoc committee because this ad hoc committee is supposed to create some new policy, uh, some new model and so on. But that ad hoc committee doesn't does not operate within the guiding rules of other committees. So they start to compete with each other. I think that's an important thing, especially as we're trying to link IT governance and, and, and corporate governance. So to kind of kind of think about that separation is is in IT. Now, like I said earlier, I can't govern myself. Now I can govern my organization, but I can't govern IT myself. That's where that link would be, say committees and, and those types of things. And of course, you have culture uh, involved there. And, there, and again, depends on corporate culture. We have small, medium, and, and, and large enterprises that can help us do that. But 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 I think the key thing here, when, when we're talking about governance of enterprise IT, you notice that I just said a new term. A lot of us call it IT governance. But as a board member, if I see IT governance, what I think is IT governs itself. Not correct. I need to govern enterprise IT. So therefore, I need to have some governance system principles in place. And I would challenge anybody on this call especially if you're a board member or an executive, to tell me if your governing body has actually endorsed principles of your governance system. One, you should basically have a system that provides stakeholder value, not just shareholder value. You probably, you guys probably saw in North America, uh, we had a set of breakaway CEOs who said shareholder value is not the only thing we're focusing on. There's many other factors, environmental factors, social factors, external things, and so on. We need to be holistic. No longer just focus on financial governance and financial compliance, 
But remember that IT systems and IT risks can affect us at the governance or at the enterprise level. And, and we need to have a dynamic system. And I, I'd like for us, I'm going to hold off on this for a second because I hope it goes this direction. Because one of the things I think that's happening right now, and, and I am pushing very, very strongly to have tailored governance systems for organizations. And those and governance and agile generally don't go together very well. But I'm telling you, as an organization today, if I were a chairman of a board of directors, I would want to know how is our governance system modifying today based on the changing factors externally and internally. Take the take the coronavirus, for example. So I'm going to hold up on that because Rudy hopefully will go to how we tailor a governance system for a specific organization. But I'd like to uh, I'd like to hit this. But again, my point is we need to hit the entire. Uh, the entire end-to-end governance system so everybody understands their role in this piece. I've talked too long on that. Uh, Dr. Ashraf, you may have some counterpoints to that. I'll yield to you. I wouldn't say it's counterpoints. It's just just explaining a little bit further because, again, as you mentioned a couple of times, the governance body, governing body of the company is actually the board of directors. So the board is where the powers are, is, is, is really where the strategy sits and where they are the certifying body for the strategy. They are the ones to choose the management, compensate the management. They are the ones to establish uh, the, the value system, the, the, the ethical standards for the company and so on. So they are very important. So I would say that I agree with you that we didn't really see that many IT governance uh, committees happening in boards of directors. However, which is something I'm really proud of, in the last couple of months, the UE has launched a new code of corporate governance for listed companies in the Emirates. And in that, they say that there are some committees recommended by the regulator one of them is actually exactly on what you mentioned it's actually it governance committee so they are saying telling companies we are not going to be mandating that but guys think about it carefully and and my estimation or my 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 uh, intuition is that after this crisis this is going to happen because now companies realize that it is an integrated part of the business it's not just a support service it is in fact your business it's the platform where everything is happening uh, so, so it is not really something where it just it's a support server that we can, as as you said, we can invite only in certain times and so on. However, one of the comments and questions were made by one of the audience actually is simply, how is IT governance or IT related to internal audits? Now, now the governing body, which is the board of directors, they set the rules, they set the policies, and even if they delegate this to some you know experts or general external, now they are the certifying body for these policies. Now, how the board can make sure that everything is happening properly in the company is actually internal audit. So the head of internal audit reports to the board of directors, audit committee in the board of directors, and they have to make sure that all the policies approved by the board and regulations by the government or whatever, they are implemented properly. That's the rule. So part of that is, again, IT governance. So I agree with, with Mark that it is not supposed to be IT creating their own systems and rules and regulations. No. It should be approved by the governing body, which is the board of directors. Internal audit, then they have to have somebody experienced in the business and in the IT so that they can make sure that these policies are adhered to and they are implemented. So that's where actually it fits. I, again, agree with Mark. There are lots of, 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 of points that can be discussed here. So I, I'll wait for Rudy to maybe uh, ask questions or directors in, in the way he would like us to. Thank you, Mark. It, if, if you don't mind, one follow-up to that. 
I agree with a hundred percent everything you said, and the and, and you addressed the question uh, about uh, the the role of internal audit, uh, and, and I think right now. So I grew up as an auditor years ago doing doing IT auditing. Many folks here on this call are auditors, but we got to remember that kind of three lines of defense. Audit is third line of defense. And so I, I think one of the things that we're challenged with today is in IT, I'm first line of defense. I own those controls. Audit doesn't own those controls. Those are the controls that I own. I may not own the risk. And, and, and the second line of defense, defense would be like my risk and so on. I think the separation we're seeing is that internal audit has their own risk scenarios. IT has my own risk scenarios. Enterprise risk management has their own risk scenarios. And we're all working off a different set of risk scenarios. That yeah. is a, yes. and again, it sounds simple to fix, but it's very difficult. So I, I think that uh, that moves us on. Rudy, I'm going to push it back to you and see if you can push sure, us on. Sure. To, uh, Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ashraf. And thank you, Mark, for your valuable uh, input. I just want to take a question from uh, the audience, which is Dalal. Dalal asks, many digital transformation projects are failing. Are there any market facts that show that the failure were due to lack of governance? I think that's Mark can handle this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, Mark. Um, yeah, no, that, no that, that, that's okay. So I don't have a report in front of me that gives me uh, quantitative data to support this. But I will tell you this, and you can quote me on this. Is it 100%? of digital transformation failures are because of the lack of governance. Quote me on it, because you can link this back to an organization that says digitally transform, but they don't offer any other guidance. They don't offer any rule sets. They don't offer anything else where they say we need, they do a knee jerk reaction to go become digitally transformed because their competitors are. Wrong answer. Um, I would tell you that 100% of failures are because of that. Let me give you an example of digital transformation issues. An organization that I was a part of, I was asked by one of our board members. I was the CIO of this organization. I was asked by a board member. Um, this board member, she was a very savvy and very smart cybersecurity professional. She was formerly a CISO for a federal agency in North America. She said, Mark, can we be compromised through a, an internet-capable coffee pot? Coffee pot. And I said, uh, you know what? I don't know. Because what had happened is this organization said, we want to be internet of things everything because that's what our competitors are doing. So the IT organization charges to become internet of everything. And guess what? I could have been compromised through an internet enabled coffee pot. Now we were compliant to what is called PCI. I had separation of networks and those types of things. However, somebody could get this guys. Somebody could have come through my internet-capable coffee pot and turned off my alarm system for our, uh, in our physical alarm system. They could have actually turned off my heating and cooling system. 
and they could have interfered with my internal communication system and my internal uh, camera security system. Wow. So what had happened was we moved so fast because we were told grow, 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 digitally transform, go faster than our competitors. There are no rules. We're willing to accept more risk just so we can be more digitally advanced than our, than our competitors. And that's exactly what we did. And we created vulnerabilities because of that. I think that is absolutely huge. That is a coffee pot, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. There are so many more that we see at the corporate level. Dr. Ashraf, you probably have some response. Yeah, to that. I wanted actually to comment on, on what you mentioned because uh, the notion that we are willing to take more risks so that we can achieve that, I think it's a notion which resembles what happened in 2008 from the financial crisis where banks board, bank boards were willing to take risks using some new tools, which they had no idea how risky it is. So I think when a board member says that or a company says that, they have no idea what is it that they are talking about. They really don't understand what kind of risk we are talking about. It, it's really quite risky. And, and that's, again, it's, it's part of the ignorance that they have. So maybe they are business savvy, they understand their business, but they have no idea about what kind of risk we talk about. Again, what you mentioned as a teapot, which is a coffee pot, which is connected to the internet, it's the same thing as a printer or you know a tablet or something like this. We see lots of scandals happening because of these things and people don't realize how risky it is. Now, I think one of the comments which 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 I've seen in, 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 in uh, from the audience is about IT governance in the Middle East. I have a very strange news for you. IT governance in the Middle East is advancing very fast. I'm talking about uh, more about GCC countries. That's where most of our uh, you know, business advice and, and we do lots of board sessions for training for boards of directors and so on. And, and you know what's in the news here? It is much more advanced in the government sector than in the private sector. We have seen very strong IT governance systems in the governments, in government units, in ministries, in authorities, than we have seen in some of the banks and companies, listed companies and so on. So apparently, it is really the government is getting the message of the value and the importance of IT and how it has to be governed. And maybe that's one of the reasons why you see countries such as the UAE, it came number one in the Middle East in responding to the COVID crisis, number one in shifting to working from home. I mean, in one week, everyone in the government in this country was told, you do things from home. Nothing was interrupted. Nothing stopped. Everything was working perfectly because of the amount of maturity they have. So again, I think my, my intuition is simply that because of this crisis, we will see a hike in the private sector interest in IT governance, not in buying machines and computers. They have this already. It's really how to manage this entire ecosystem to make sure that we are, as organization, we are strong, we are agile, and we are able to handle the crisis that we are going through right now. Uh, excellent note from you, Dr. Ashraf. I think this is a very valid point. Uh, uh, COVID has transformed not just uh, the people and work from home. I think it will also transform uh, the digital world as a whole. Uh, going into the digital govern, uh, digital transformation, I think the digital transformation, which you mentioned a little bit on it, is there's a part of it is part is related to the management or to the board or to that culture, to the people that we need to change, uh, and especially in the board of directors to adopt and then start understanding the new challenges, the way things has gone. I think companies now 
like Twitter and Facebook, they sent everybody. And then I heard also uh, Harvard, they sent everybody home, continue for next year uh, working from home because this has proven to be somehow effective. We've all feared it, uh, but today it is effective. It is working. Of course, it has a lot of risks. Now comes, I think, post-COVID, the time to really control this, all of this openness of technology and adoption of technology and quick adoption of these emerging technologies. It's time for uh, governing that part of. And this brings me to my question now, is what new skills the board needs today to really adopt this big digital world that we're going into? Dr. Ashraf, if you can help on this question. Um, yeah, sure. I'll start. I'm sure that Mark will have lots of input as well there. Now, there are a few things which we have to look at. Uh, honestly speaking, the first one of them is, as you mentioned, now work is being done from home. So now people have to do things from their home. Uh, now, this includes having virtual meetings. Now, these are executive committee meetings, uh, uh, top management meetings, uh, board meetings, uh, committee meetings, and so on. Now, can you imagine the amount of information which is being put there in these meetings, virtual meetings and scanned documents? So the first thing is we have to think about is simply having this sort of secure space for communication uh, between board member and the management and so on. That, that's one, one thing. Number two is actually the ability to have safe and secured and protected and legal meetings as well. And, and the reason why I'm saying legal meetings is simply you have to look back at regu your regulation. So we always tell boards, before you indulge into a, 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 a digital board meeting, if you like, uh, you have to ask yourself, number one, does the law in which you are operating allow this meeting to happen? Is it actually a legal meeting by law in your country? So that's, that's one thing. Now, second thing is, does your system allow? Do you have the bylaws for this? Do you have rules and regulations to govern these meetings. Now, the problem with these meetings is simply, I can be taking a meeting like this, and then I have 10 people standing here who are listening to all the discussions and information and so on. How can we govern that? How can we make sure that actually this is also protected? Now, this adds a whole new dimension and life to the expression, a board secretary or a company secretary. Now, when you talk about a company secretary, in fact, you talk about massive responsibility that was put on these people all of a sudden. And, and because we train them regularly and we have lots of interaction with, with board secretaries, we can hear the questions they are asking and the concerns they have of having to manage all this virtually uh, as opposed to the, use, uh, the way they used to do it before. So all this requires that I have to have, number one, the right board members. Number two, well-trained board members on technology. So who understand the business in which they are operating, also the technology, and then how to relate the two of them together. So it's not only to use technology for the meeting, but also how to use technology for the business itself and how to make sure that we are actually doing the right thing at the end of the day. And then are we able to oversee all this system? Are we able to govern that system properly? Are we able to make sure that we are on track? Are we able to make sure that we are not investing in vain? and putting money in down the drain and, and buying lots of things which are actually useless. And then finally, how to change the mindset of the people in the organization. As you mentioned correctly, now people who used to come to office every day, five days a week, now they are staying at home for a month and working there. How to change the mindset of, no, I have to go to office from you know uh, eight to, till five or six every day. How to change that mindset. How to create targets for them. I don't have to see them. They don't have to punch in and out, but still they can perform and they can deliver and, and we can assist their performance. There are lots of different issues 
all small pieces, but they have to put to be put together in a whole strategy. That's why I said one of the things you have to look back is your own strategy. How are you doing things? How are you implementing things? How are you reaching your long-term objectives? And as Mark mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, it's now it is not really about the shareholders, it's about the stakeholders. So now we talk about the health of employees, the health of your own clients, the health of your business partners, if you are going to have meetings with them. So now the, the circle of concern is much bigger than before. So the, call, the concept of stakeholders engagement and how to make sure that we are taking care of our stakeholders, our community, now has a totally new different meaning than what used to have like six or seven months ago. Thank you. I, I agree 100% with everything Dr. Ashraf just said. And here's one of the big concerns that I see, because you guys, many of you guys may know, one of my specialty areas is what we call MENA, Middle East, North Africa. And, and what happened, we got a question out there that said, hey, what's going on in the Middle East? Well, I'll use an example. I'll use the country of Jordan. As an example, the Central Bank of Jordan required every bank that was that was operating in Amman, Jordan, to meet a certain framework for standards. That framework was called COVID, but they made it a, a, a national standard. So the next thing they did is said, OK, that's great. Now we're going to move on and make the NIST cybersecurity framework a standard. Now, let's go back five years ago, five years ago. I was not doing work in the Middle East, but all of a sudden, the Central Bank of Jordan makes a couple of, uh, of frameworks, a standard, which is now a legal requirement for banks. Now, all of a sudden, I'm speaking to 14 different boards of directors in Amman, Jordan. Why is it that they waited for this to become a legal requirement before they actually focused on good practices. And I think that's a big thing. It goes back to a question, Rudy, that you'd asked a few questions ago. How do we get the board involved? And my point is, and I'll say it over and over, don't wait for the next law or don't wait for the next time you make it on the front page of the newspaper before you finally decide to, to, to look at governance. Now, if you think about this, it is if we have any board members um, on on this call, and and I'm actually looking through the names, and I know I know personally four members on this call who are board members. The idea is this: is you've got to balance performance and conformance, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot be a hundred percent conformant to every single law out there. I don't care if you're in the Middle East, North Africa, North America, Canada, Asia, or South America. You can't be 100% compliant to everything. It is my charge to you as a board to tell me in an IT organization what areas you're willing to accept risk, which goes to a huge, huge thing that not many people understand. And it's called risk appetite and risk tolerance. Appetite says, what's the level of risk we're willing to accept as an enterprise to achieve our organizational goals. Now, under certain conditions, we may have some wiggle room. It's called risk tolerance. And risk tolerance says, what's the acceptable level of deviation? This, I believe, is one of the biggest faults of governing enterprise IT or governing an enterprise is that boards and governing bodies don't understand 
how to articulate risk appetite and risk tolerance so that the entire organization can operate within those boundaries. Because we've been talking about IT governance, right? But think about it. Human resources, finance. Well, finance, they've done a pretty good job because that's quantitative and it's easy to give an appetite and tolerance level for that. Manufacturing, marketing, IT, so on. I think if I were a board member today, what I would suggest to you is articulate your risk, appetite, and tolerance levels because Dr. Ashraf brought this up on question number one. He brought up risk. And if I don't know what my what my lane is in how I can make decisions, right, I don't know how to do this. And the problem I'm seeing in a lot of organizations, and I folks, I see this in the Middle East and North Africa, is that we will offer this very vague risk appetite guidance. And then we'll expect you as an executive or as a manager to make decisions under that. But you make a decision and you make that decision that is clearly within the appetite levels that I have given you. And let's say that decision fails. It doesn't work. So guess what I do? I punish you or I fire you. Wait a second. You've just given me a risk tolerance level. I made that decision within the rule set that you set and I get punished for it. I think that is incorrect. And I think that's creating a bad culture because Dr. Ashraf brought up another thing that I think is huge, and it's culture. It is absolutely huge. Rudy, I'm going to send it back to you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I uh, just want to add on top of uh, what you said, and then also to answer Veronica, I've been involved in different places here. We start from Lebanon. Lebanon has somehow adopted a very light, I will not call it governance, but I will call it some part of governance. Uh, throughout the years. It's a little bit old, but throughout the years they added to it cybersecurity and whatsoever, but they have not touched the board, the culture, and everything yet. So hopefully uh, we're trying actually to lobby on this to, for it to be a circular. And then uh, Jordan has been advancing a lot, I know for sure, since 2015 and 16, and then now they issued uh, another update for it. Uh, Iraq has adopted, you know, Iraq is, is amazing. They come from nothing and then they want to adopt the latest and greatest. Uh, I agree. Which I really I agree. love Iraq has been very progressive in, in the Middle East right now. And this is very, I, I, I'm very happy to see that. Me too as well. And then uh, lately also we've seen different places here and there from the Middle East, from uh, UAE and others. But in March, last March, uh, Turkey adopted a full uh, governance without going into a framework as it is. They created their own highlight of a framework. And for governance, and then they create, and then they published it as a mandatory. So we're seeing adoption in uh, IT governance or ICT corporate governance or IT or ICT governance because it has different names uh, in different places. Uh, and uh, hopefully the adoption now will start growing and growing and uh, growing. So uh, Veronica, hopefully we have uh, answered you. Also, and then you have other questions. We'll, we'll go on uh, later on. Yeah, I think right. also I think also one of the important elements which I think came out on one of the comments by one of the audience is simply uh, always remember that it's not only about your company, it's also about your own subsidiaries. Uh, now, if, if you are a company which has subsidiaries, whether inside your country or outside of the country, you are still liable for all those. And, and that's, again, part of your system. 
so in many cases, what happens is you have a holding company which is located in one country, and then they have, you know, overseas subsidiaries. Uh, and, and the legal framework there is different. The challenges are different. And, and, and therefore, you cannot impose one system over all the companies. You would have to understand that each of these subsidiaries is a case in itself. So you have to look back at every one to see what is the system which is good for them. Now, the whole idea of subsidiary governance is a very complicated one because it's always the question whether, you know, we are the holding company, we decide for them and they agree with us and they do whatever we tell them, or these subsidiaries are independent and they are empowered and they have independent boards of directors. And so they make decisions and we are uh, hold, we hold them accountable for whatever happens which also goes back to the idea of IT governance. Now, usually, of course, as, as we all know, uh, if, if you have any cycle of production, usually the speed is the slowest one of that. So if you have a cycle of businesses and one of them has a very poor IT governance, that might be your weakness. That might be where you'll be attacked from and you'll pay the price of that small subsidiary which might be operating in, in an overseas country. So, so you have really to look at the entire group that, that you are in charge of uh, and, and, and do your uh, you do, you do due diligence there. So all what we are saying simply means that we need to have savvy people who really understand IT governance very well and who can do a good job, not just some people who can buy some computers and machines and printers. That's not what to talk about. It's really a very sophisticated matter. It's technically advanced matter. And that's why even if you look at the regulations in the Middle East regarding IT governance, they are still very vague sort of giving you sentences about the rule of the board that they are in charge of this, but that's it. Because they cannot go deeper, they don't really have that much knowledge to go deeper than this. So, so that's where, again, regulation is expected to jump in the region by paying much more attention to the details of IT governance and, and the criteria and the standards that their companies and banks has, have to adhere to in, in the region. Uh, Dr. Ashraf, I, I, com I completely agree with you. I, actually, I'm, you and I have agreed on a lot of stuff. I thought we might See? disagree on a few things today, but that's good governance. I, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's not true, many disagreements true. we can have here. But if you don't mind, um, so here, so I want to push this, Rudy. I'm going to kind of push this to the next subject area for you, if you don't mind. And I want to get I want to get Dr. Ashraf's um, perspective on this, but because if you read. If you open up a IT governance book, if you read an IT governance framework, you know they said here are the things you need to do, and and, and governance systems are different for every organization. And, and I really truly believe that if you as an organization, whether you're a board member, an IT governance committee, a CIO, a CISO, risk manager, it doesn't matter. There are areas that that affect the objectives that you focus on from your governance system. Think about it. Enterprise strategy. My governance system is going to be different for a company that is in an aggressive growth strategy versus a company that says, whoa, 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 we're going to stay on defense, right? My governance system is going to be different based on all of my enterprise goals. My governance system is different based on the risks that Dr. Ashraf talked about earlier, right? Because I may be in a low-risk environment versus a high-risk environment. Um, my governance system may be different based on uh, the IT organization, right? The, the, the issues we're running into with IT. Some organizations see IT as a necessity or a cost center, where some organizations see IT as a strategic enabler. That's going to have a lot to do with my governance system. Uh, the threat landscape. Let's face it, guys. 
if I manufacture bicycles, my threat landscape is going to be a lot different than if I do international wire transfers for high value customers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as well as my compliance requirements. Um, let's. So one of the things we haven't talked about here is 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 deployment style. Right. So one of the things that I'm seeing is IT organizations and businesses, corporate governance is saying, we want deployments faster, faster, faster. So in the old days, we could do this waterfall approach or development lifecycle approach. But today we're seeing this emergence. Of course, Agile has been around for a couple of decades, but DevOps, where people want continuous deployment. And I just I literally had a conversation with an executive team last week that said, oh, we are a high-velocity deployment organization. Your governance and assurance mean nothing here. How is it that because you're moving fast, you are immune from our governance models and from the policies that Dr. Osharoff talked about earlier? So so my whole, my whole point here is this, is these the days of having a single governance system are gone. Right. As as external factors, as internal factors change, your customization, customization. Got it. You got it, Rudy. I think that's an important piece. So um, based on that, I'm going to throw it back to Rudy and Dr. Osharoff and see if you guys have any any comments or counterpoints uh, to some of my thoughts. Well, I mean, I fully agree with you, uh, Mark, honestly speaking. Uh, I mean, the concept of moving fast is 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 a very tricky one because. We have seen lots of, of uh, vulnerabilities happen because because of that speed. Uh, I've seen one of the big financial institutions in in one of the Middle East companies, uh, uh, which what they did is they wanted to move very fast to automation, and they did without having the proper sort of uh, infrastructure in place, and they ended up in a huge AML case because their system had lots of holes that allowed people to abuse it. And it was used for actually uh, uh, money laundry, if you like, all the time. Uh, until the central bank of the country came and said, no, guys, wait a minute, what's happening there? And, and they found really massive cases of AML in that specific uh, case. So it's not about the speed. It's about doing the right thing. It's actually you are building construction. And you cannot build it just in one day. I mean, it takes time to build. It takes stages. It takes well planning, understanding what are the issues and putting the right investments and having also the right people in place. But also one dimension I'd like to add to what you have said, Mark, is simply expectations from your clients. Uh, Again, in one of the organizations that I've worked uh, uh, in before, uh, uh, the clients of that organization were very simple people who are very humble, their expectations are very minimal. And and, and when the people from IT said, let's invest on all this and buy all this, this sort of infrastructure, when I surveyed with the clients and actually I sat with them, they have no idea how to use that. So, so the IT people came with the idea of investing on, on buying this technology and make it available for the clients. For the clients, didn't really want that, didn't even appreciate it. And that is one of the biggest organizations actually in, 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 in the region, I have to admit, with the number of employees, number of clients, and amount of investments in that organization. So again, you have to know what is it that you need from the technology and how to do it right and how to serve your purpose. So you have to start always with your purpose. What is my purpose and how technology can help me achieve that in which dimension exactly? Should I automate everything? Should I select certain parts for automation? So you have lots of questions to ask before just investing and buying and then uh, putting technology in place and then nobody's using it. So next thing you have is you really have technology which is very dusty and nobody's using it. That's not really what we have in mind there. 
You, you know, I, I totally agree with you. And, and and I saw a question come up as you were talking that was relevant to what you were just uh, describing. And the question was, what, what objectives are most important when we're focusing on digital transformation? Because that's kind of what we were talking about. Of course, you couple that with uh, current global pandemics and those kinds of things. And I will tell you this, from a governance perspective, um, if, if if I were sitting on a board of directors, I would make sure that, of course, we had the governance framework set up, the, the appropriate policies in place, and we set the right culture, which Dr. Ashraf talked about earlier. But, but I would say that benefits delivery is a big thing. As a board, I want to make sure I'm investing a huge amount of resources, and those resources are money, people, technology, and so on into digital transformation. So I would think that's a, that's a big thing and we're, we're optimizing our resources. But from a management perspective, what you as a board should expect from me is that, um, that we're looking at requirements, that we're looking at how we're doing acceptance and transitioning. But I think a big thing right now that a lot of people are missing is change control. And again, I'm not trying to go too deep into this, but again, you know, there are frameworks out there that will describe best practices and and activities for change control and change management. Here's what I think. I think today, the old models of having a change board for every single change is gone. I believe we have to have trust in an organization, which means as a governing body, whether that's the board or another governing body and organization, we need to identify the delegations of authority and if I can have the right delegation of authority, because we're moving fast, which means authority levels need to be closer to street view down at the lowest level. And I need to be able to trust you and add some uh, some rules around you making those decisions. But here's the most important part of that. If, if I delegate authority to somebody and I establish the rules on how you make those decisions, I need to support you. I ran into an organization that delegated authority and I saw a manager in North America make a decision based on the level of authority that she had. That decision she made went wrong, went really wrong, but she followed the rules. This organization punished her. And my response was, wait a second, you do not give somebody a delegation of authority if they follow the rules that you've given them Risk is not zero. So you should protect people and you should delegate the authority levels to the lowest possible level because this is where we're going. I can guarantee you, everybody on this call, what I will say is in the next 10 years, you will start seeing levels of authority go down deeper than they've ever been because we need to remove the bureaucracy we need to remove the, the, we have to push this to the next committee. I am giving you the accountability to make this decision. And here are the parameters, my risk appetite on those decisions. And if it goes wrong, I will support you because you followed the governance rules. This goes all the way down, down to the street. And I think that's what that's what I really wanted folks on this call to get from my perspective, because I've seen. From an IT governance side, I'm working under the rules that corporate governance that Dr. Ashraf is talking about. And, and that link there, like we said, get those communication structures in place, those committees in place that can now link the decisions I'm making in IT, the decisions that uh, that Romeo is making as a CISO, 
the decisions that Turhan is making as a marketing director, right? And so on. And we need to trust, but set those rules. Ashraf, back to you. Uh, well, Mark, I, I must add something to you, which we have seen in some uh, really quite large organizations we have dealt with in the region. We have seen cases where, uh, again, departments are allowed to make decisions regarding the technology they use. So you end up with having like 10, 12, 13 different systems, don't even talk to each other. So when we need to have a report, what we have to do is we have to have 13 different reports and translate that into a common sort of language so that we can put this in one report. You can imagine the kind of nightmare that you can you can think about in this case. And we have even seen cases that we have quite large organizations with massive budgets. And what they do is what? They create their own software. So they have like some sort of university graduates, like three or four young, very, very uh, uh, smart guys and, and girls, and they create their own software and platforms. Hey, guys, why do you have to reinvent the wheel? Why do you have to invent something and you have to test? Companies have thousands of people working with these things. They are testing it all the time and they are updating it all the time. What is this? So what you end up with is some organization having a system which doesn't see any other systems in the world. It's just some sort of an island there. So what we're trying to say is simply, it is not, again, about the IT. It's about your own organization. It's it's really, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a vision for the organization. It's your own strategy and so on. You cannot allow everyone to create their own islands and their own sort of kingdom, little kingdom uh, uh, inside the, the organization. You have to have a system and that system has to be exactly. one system which serves one objective. Ultimately, there is one goal and that entire system is serving that specific goal. This is really quite important for organizations to, 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 to understand. But again, the governing body of that is the board of directors. So the board has to be in control. They have to be driving, not the IT guys. The board has to be driving this, telling IT then what to do based on what they see for the organization. In the I world. think exactly, Dr. Ashraf. I think this is a very crucial point here to talk about that culture, because I think everything is driven from that culture perspective of the board. If the culture is not there to delegate for change management or whatever, or to delegate uh, responsibilities, or to even to put the structure that we are talking about, I think the rest will be, you know, somehow not there. So I'm gonna take a question uh, because I think we have our, <laughs> a lot of questions now. This one is for Mark, but also Dr. Ashraf can uh, answer. Uh, in short, uh, financial institutions are following government. So what about the rest of the sectors? Yeah, so so it's interesting as I talked about conformance and performance, and and, and I think right now, and, and I'll start with uh, the Middle East, right? So uh, Dr. Ashraf talked about um, uh, money laundering, right, which is an issue with many banks in many different regions, but that was one of the areas uh, that was uh, that was under uh, a spotlight when we wanted to look at governance. But 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 I think that um, I think what we're going to see. I think what we're going to see, not just in uh, um, uh, Middle East, North Africa, we're going to see this across across the globe, is that organizations will start to add more compliance. Let's take GDPR, right? When I say GDPR, I'm sure there's a few people out there that are doing this. Oh, no. But GDPR was absolutely right. And here's what happened is we saw many organizations when GDPR came out, not just financial organizations. We saw manufacturers, we saw service providers, right? And we saw government agencies saying, you know what? This really hurts. But if you step back and you look at the, at the, at the principles behind it, it was the right thing to do. 
So now what we're seeing is organizations and not just financial, they're saying, wait a second, it's a little bit painful for us to meet this global requirement, but it actually is the right thing to do and it makes us better at business. So what I'm seeing is right now is I believe the financial industry is, is at the arrowhead. They are the kind of the starting critical point because the financial industry generally um, has extremely brilliant, brilliant people working in their organizations and they're creating, they're creating a blueprint that I believe is going to be used across not just uh, the MENA region, but I think we're going to see it uh, across the globe. Now, North America, for example, in North America, I will sit in front of a board and I will, I will give them a suggestion. They'll say, we already know that. Well, if you already knew that, why are you on the front page of the newspaper? <laughs> don't, exactly. don't, don't be, again, I, 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 I struggle to use the word arrogance, right? But why are you so arrogant? And this is not just North America. I see this in Europe. I see it everywhere. Um, that, that people say, we already know that. Well, if you already knew it, why are you asking for help? Right? And so I, I believe, I believe the financial industry in the Middle East is setting the stage for a global growth of IT governance across the world. Um, and this is why I'm watching the Middle East. I'm watching Jordan. Um, I'm watching Lebanon. I'm watching Egypt. Right. We're watching uh, uh, the UAE. Right. Where Dr. Ashraf is. Um, again, there are so many countries out there. I believe this is the tipping point that we're going to start seeing this around there. Anybody have any suggestions on that? Well, Mark, if you are watching the UE, I hope that you will join our webinar on the 15th of June because it's going to be covering the new ESG index that we launched with S&P a couple of months back with the DFM as well. So now Dr. we have- Dr. Ashraf, I will be there. I will be there. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Just one thing to add to what you have mentioned. Again, uh, I think it's very clearly in the MENA region. Uh, the governance on the financial sector is much more advanced than the rest of the sectors because of the global nature of that industry, of course, and because of the kind of regulators we have for them. Uh, uh, in companies, it varies. In banks, it's quite rare to see a bank which doesn't have good governance, although there are examples in lots of countries in the region as well. But in general, actually, it's, it's really much better. However, the question which I think one of the audience uh, posed, which is, does the IT governance system, is it tailored based on the industry? I think, as Mark said, there is no one size fits all. You cannot say, this is the IT governance structure, just take it, apply it wherever you are. It doesn't go like this. It doesn't fly. There is no one size fits all. So you have key principles, key issues, fundamentals, as Marco was saying. But end of the day, how to apply that in every company and every industry is different. And I'm, I'm saying every company because even within the same industry, you might have two companies that have different strategies, different objectives. And so within the same industry, you might have different systems for each of the IT governance in these companies within that same sector. So that's why we are saying there is no one size fits all. Don't try to copy a model from the best company in the world because that is the model of the best company. It's not a model for you. You might have something else which is much better for you than that model. So please don't copy. Always think of your own needs and tailor something which is good for you. you, you, know, you. That's, that's, a, that's an excellent point because you know I saw some comments out there just now that talked about uh, governance frameworks are not checklist items. And I, do, I always want to be very careful about this because – there's no checklist. There's not a universal checklist, Dr. Ashwap, that just said it's different for every organization. And if you become checklist compliant, that's not governance, 
right? That's compliance, right? Governance means you're setting the rules and the boundaries and, 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 the, and the guidance towards management on how they operate. And you can link that back to compliance later. But please, folks, be very careful not to just be checklist compliance. GDPR is a perfect example. People say, I'm GDPR compliant. Uh, you know what? I don't care. If you tell me you have a governance system, I will assume if you have a good governance system that you are compliant to those areas based on risk that you need to be compliant to. Rudy, back to you. Thank you. Thank you for this valuable uh, input. Uh, I'm going to just ask Veronica if she's on to unmute herself and ask her question because uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. And then Get I'll, ready uh, because when Veronica starts talking, we may be here for another two or three hours. <laughs> uh, I'll give Veronica 30 seconds. How's that? Hi, Veronica. Hi, Rudy. Thank you. My, my concern was... <laughs> Veronica, you're on mute. If you want to unmute yourself. Uh, yes. Yes, uh, in, uh, we have a challenge in East Africa where uh, when uh, uh, there's some organizations, uh, you find that they have uh, other subsidiaries in other, other, other countries. But uh, for the board members to, or for the board meetings to be considered authentic, they must have met in person. So I wanted some advice from the, from the panelists to advise on the way forward on how we will be considering such because going forward uh, most uh, meetings are virtual now so how will the jurisdictions of that those uh, those areas right. consider yeah consider thank you veronica i'll let dr asha start because i know there's a regulation that actually was issued in uae uh, just now yes actually uh, thank you so much it's an excellent question veronica uh, and uh, i've said actually that before you indulge yourself into uh, uh, virtual meetings there are two key elements you have to review very well. Number one, regulatory framework. Does your law allows you to do these kind of meetings are legal in your country or not legal? And I think now in almost all the Middle East countries, that has changed in the last few months. It was already there before, but now it's legal for AGMs and board meetings to be virtual. So before doing this, number one, it is the regulator. And I think if that's not happening in East Africa, I think you will need to have some sort of lobbying with the regulators that this has to be the case. It cannot continue like this. So the first thing is regulatory issues. Number two is your own company's documents. Does your own buy, do your own buy laws and regulations and policy and procedures allow you to do this or not? So you have to make sure that your own documents allow you to have virtual meetings because in many cases we have seen companies where the law in this country allows for virtual meetings. Their own documents say you have to meet physically like four times every year at least, okay? So that's the second thing. Third thing is simply that we have to make sure that we are ready for this by all the technology in place and all the security issues. I wanted to mention that, but I think time is not really enough to mention this. But so three things. Number one, laws and regulations. Number two, your own policy and procedures and bylaws. Number three, you have to be ready technically to have these meetings and be, to be secured because all the company's secrets will go out of these meetings. And the last thing you'd like to see is your documents in the black market sold for your competitors or, or somebody to blackmail you end of the day. So I hope I answered the question. Uh, Mark, Thank you. Have you any... Thank you, Dr. Asher. Uh, yeah. uh, I just have last two questions, if I may, because uh, we're running out of time. 
the first question is, from your perspective, how can we bridge the ICT governance with uh, the corporate governance to push these two to be more uh, as one, you know, so we can have more awareness on the ICT? And then secondly, what can be done, what studies can be done uh, to really enhance and enable that, that thing to be uh, achieved? So I'll, I'll start on this one. It, what I've always said, uh, many of you guys have heard me said that goals cascading is one of the best kept secrets in our industry. Um, and again, that's a COVID reference, but I'm not trying to endorse just COVID here. But what I've found is in, in organizations, IT departments, um, and many departments are working down their own set of goals. And they're making up their own set of goals based on what they think is important. But I will tell you this, is an, in an organization, when we're talking IT governance, you need to make sure that every one of the goals you're trying to achieve has some positive impact to the enterprise goals. If it does not, it's a goal you should not be putting resources towards. I think that's the first piece that's important. And many organizations say, I don't know what my organization goals are. Well, you can find that on your company website. You can find that on public reports. You can't lose if you focus what you're doing on the, on the overall success of the enterprise. And if they tell you that's not correct, the enterprise has do, does not have a good set of goals. That's the first thing. The second uh, would be, we talked about committees um, because, again, the board can't, does not magically know what IT is doing. Uh, and, the board, and the IT doesn't magically know what the board expects from them. So the board receives and disseminates its information through the use of committees. An IT governance committee is absolutely huge on this. The third thing is that I think is really, really important is link all these to the risk scenarios. I want to make sure that every organization in my enterprise understands the enterprise risks and what their actions do that affect those risks. Dr. Ashraf, to you. Uh, it's very hard, Mark, to comment after you mentioned almost everything. Uh, just the key concern I have is uh, uh, when people ask about, you know, IT governance and corporate governance as these are the two different words, they are not. You talk about organizational governance, and this has different areas. One of them is actually IT governance. So don't think that these are two different words. No, they are not two different words. They are from the same world. Uh, I think one of the key elements I have to stress, which Mark has mentioned, is simply the integration. It's it's really you have to integrate all that. There has to be some sort of sharing of information, whether that through uh, uh, the audit committee, the you know corporate governance committee that you have on the board, a risk committee. There has to be integration of this. And this has all to come to the boards because that's where decisions and strategies are being approved. So they have all to go there and then that's where decisions are made and then they go down to the rest of the organization at the end of the day. So the warning is do not create silos, do not create islands. This is the IT, this is the audit, this is the information, this is the technology. It's really one organization and it's one system and it has to remain like this. Do you think we can do a study or an article about, you know, because they're not separated, and this is, as you said, and we totally agree on this, but for the mind of these uh, high-level board of directors, how can we facilitate this in a study 
or in some awareness article or something, how can we work all three possibly and more, create a task force, a very small task force, uh, to really create uh, guidance or an awareness for these people that they have to adopt, especially today with this emerging technologies and work from home technologies and everything that's going on. So we benefit from this COVID and then we continue later on for it to be uh, effective. That's a great idea, Rudy. I mean, uh, uh, as you mentioned, I think the subject is extremely important and it's very strategic for the region as well. Uh, there are different ways of doing this. Uh, there is something which is a little bit on the same sort of track, but not specialized on, on this area of IT governance. Uh, when you go to our website, you see we have something called Haukama Journal. And that journal has been on for the last, I don't know, a few years, actually, like five or six years. And it's written by practitioners, not by academics, not by professors. It's not really academic research, if you like, but it's really people like Mark is trying to share his comments and, and his experiences and lots of board members and chairman and so on. Uh, and that's in Arabic and English, so you have this. But I think I think it's a good idea that we think of something new that we can do together. Uh, we have done a, before some cooperation cooperation with the AUB, American University in Beirut. Uh, you, you know, they have Olayan School of Business and they have uh, a, a corporate governance chair, if you like. And it's good that we can together create some sort of whether a study or a survey on the region that we can cover many countries and come up with some recommendations. Uh, we are for the idea. I mean. Uh, we are flexible and, and we agree that it's, it's a very good idea. Having some people like Mark and other people, I think also will enrich this this very much. I, I agree. I think I think it's 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 time for that type of study. And I think a lot of you you read a lot of consulting organizations that have their own twist on how to do this. Uh, there are some really good documents that I've read. Uh, there's one in particular called the Board Briefing on IT Governance. It was from the IT Governance Institute. Um, but it, it, again, it's it's several years old, but the core tenets are the same. I think I think that it's time for us to create a guide for governing bodies as well as IT and, and, and business management to say, what are those connections? How do we communicate what the guidance is between the board and how do we, we report? And again, we haven't had a chance to talk about metrics and KPIs and benefits, but how do we, we report that back up? I think this is a, a beautiful idea, and I think it's something our industry needs, especially now. All right, perfect. Then uh, we'll try to organize this after later on, uh, definitely. And I would like to thank everybody in this call today. It was an amazing um, discussion. It was an amazing audience. Thank you all. Thank you, Dr. Ashraf. Thank you, Mark, uh, for your uh, valuable uh, inputs on this topic. And hopefully, we can all spread the culture of governance, whether it's uh, for uh, the digital world or for the corporate or for the, as we call it, the enterprise, even on a uh, broader scale. Thank you again. Uh, it was an amazing uh, webinar today. Uh, hopefully, we'll have more. See you next week in my weekly uh, series. Thank you a lot. Thank you. Thank Shukran. Thank you for having Thank me. You, Thank you. Nice meeting you, Mark. We'll talk again. Huh? You got it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Ashraf. Thank you, Mark. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you soon. Inshallah. Bye-bye. Highly appreciating. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye.